The Joy Unleashed show empowers and inspires women to reclaim their joy. We provide tools, resources, and connections to help you unlock your true potential through engaging conversations, expert insights, and transformative stories. We create a vibrant and inclusive community where women can break free from the limitations that hold them back. I'm joyologist Colleen Greco, and it is my honor to be your host. Let's get right into the show. If you feel like you're stuck, if you feel like you don't quite know your purpose, or maybe you know it, but you just can't find the path toward it. If you're uncomfortable in your own skin and want to finally master self-love, then we need to talk. I'm Colleen Greco, and I'm your joyologist. I help women just like you to reclaim the joy they feel is missing in their life through mindset coaching and nutrition coaching. Whether you have weight to lose or simply need to get your gut in check, I've got you. We'll work together to retire limiting beliefs. Those are the stories that are keeping you from your purpose. I need you to hear me. Those are the stories that we need to get rid of in order to get you on your path to your purpose. We will work together to get you that life you've always dreamed of. It would be my honor to connect with you. Reach out to me via Instagram at the Colleen Greco or email Colleen at ColleenGreco.com. Let's get you back to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Joy Unleashed. I'm Colleen Greco, your joyologist and humble host for today's show. And today I'm so excited to welcome Jeremy Swick to the stage. Welcome, Thank Jeremy. You. So glad you're here on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited for our conversation today. Me too. How are you? How are you doing? You know, I'm doing pretty well. It was pretty icy this morning, but it cleared up, got home safely, and just excited to be on the show tonight. So, one of my first and favorite questions, um, I kind of feel like it's going to be a softball for you, given all the stuff behind you. But I'm just gonna just gonna like go out on a limb and ask anyway. How do you define joy, and what brings you joy on a daily basis? So one of the ways I love that question for me in a, I think in a selfish way, sometimes it's sports, uh, just finding ways to connect. I think sports can be one of those big connectors. Of course, if you're a fan of a team, you see some of the things behind me, uh, you know, those mementos, but it, it goes deeper than that for me. It's mementos from games I went to maybe with a family member or having someone come up from out of town to go to a game. And for me, fortunately, sports has been one of those real motivators and, I guess, career starters in, in life. And so I would say watching sports, being part of sports, playing sports is something that really does bring me joy. So if I told you that all the sports in all the land just suddenly disappeared one day, would your, would your heart be broken? You know, it would be pretty tough. I think I would have to find some new hobbies, but I realized at this point I can collect and I like to collect just about everything. One of my good <laughs> friends called me a collector's collector. I remember as a kid, I wanted to go up and down the elevator to get the little posts at the, uh, you know, at the garages. So I had every color, even though, uh, you know, that's not something normal, but I think sometimes my folks humored me with uh, letting me just kind of collect whatever I wanted and you know, sometimes, sometimes it's valuable. Sometimes there was a uh, parking garage stickers. 
Now, are you one of those collectors that, you know, has those rare items that people are searching for all over the place? And because I know, for example, my husband has like an entire toy store in our um, attic because he, he used to work in the toy industry. And so he has like all those Comic-Con exclusives and he's always like, I wonder who wants whatever. And there's somebody out there that wants it. So do you do a lot of trading? So I definitely don't do a ton of trading per se. I do maybe a little more hoarding than trading, but <laughs> every once in a while, there's something that, you know, I think can benefit both of us. Uh, if I go to a game, I always try to get at least two because then I can at least trade one. And then I have one for myself in my own collection. I think that's how I shop too. One for me, one for you. Two for me, one for you. <laughs> exactly. What's your favorite sport? So I would say football, American football to watch, uh, to play. I play rugby. I've been playing since high school. And so I think those are the two. But of course, you know, watching basketball, going to baseball games, tailgating in Milwaukee is you know, a close, a close second and third. Is that where we're talking to you from today, Milwaukee? Yes, we are talking from Wisconsin. It's a little cold right now, but hey, we're making it work. I mean, it's winter, right? Like what more could you expect? Exactly. So tell me about the average historian. What does that mean? I'll make sure I share your Instagram too, as we're talking. So I appreciate it. It's one of those things that started several years ago. My undergrad was in education, history education to be specific. That being said, I started as an undeclared major for about three and a half years. And my professor finally called me out. She was my advisor. And she told me, hey, you've got to do something with this history thing. You've taken almost every history class that's been available. You do well in them. I assume at this point you enjoy them. And, you know, it took a little intro, introspect introspecting and thinking about why I loved history so much. I would say it goes back to growing up, going to the Milwaukee public museum. I was born in Guatemala city, Guatemala. I was put up for adoption when I was really young, when I was born basically, but they always had this Guatemalan marketplace. And I remember as a real young kid, that was the first time I ever saw myself in history. Well, maybe a little antiquated with, uh, with the mannequins and, and the dioramas and all that might not be as historically accurate as it is today. It was one of those times I first saw myself in history. So we fast forward a little while, college, I fell into the trope. What are you going to do with a history degree? Teach. I went into the education field and taught social studies for a little while and realized that there was something more out there for me in the realm of history. At some point during this time, I started The Average Historian. And the way I looked at it is just someone who was, you know, that average guy who liked talking about history, but also liked talking about life, rugby, craft beer, because I'm from Wisconsin. And that really helped me when I was in graduate school because I had the opportunity. I always was told that I gave favorite social studies teacher vibes, that if you loved history in high school or middle school, I was kind of that same vibe. And of course, that people didn't always know that's what my background was, but just trying to share that love for history. And really that's how the average historian started. And through that working at different museums is how it kind of propelled me into, you know, later careers as far as running my own business. Now, do you find that you have to have, you know, equal parts as a, you know, 
working in museums, do you have to have like equal parts, like entertainer, storyteller, collector of knowledge, right? Like, tell us what, what that experience is about. I would think you would have to be an entertainer. You really do. It's funny because right now I'm, besides Swick Media, I'm also an archivist at the Wisconsin Black Historical Society. So a lot of times I'm collecting things, sharing those stories, but when we have someone come in, maybe a donor, someone who wants to learn more about the museum, that entertainer cap goes right on. I'm the tour guide. I'm sharing stories that you've probably never heard of. And I learned you say anything with confidence. People usually, usually trust you. You know, you do it enough times, you usually end up being right most of the time. But sharing those stories and finding ways to connect with others is one of those real joys about history and my field as well. So that, it sounds like that really lights you up. It really does. It's, it's a, it's a long journey in the history field. I always tell people when they reach out to me, whether it's LinkedIn or social media, and they're interested in get, maybe getting into history, maybe becoming a curator, working in a museum, I really, first of all, ask them, do they love it or do they think they'd love it? Because, you know, there's long nights, there's times where you spend six months at a position knowing they won't hire you because they can't afford to hire you, which means you're kind of living out of your car for six months. You sign another nine-month position. I moved up into the middle of nowhere in Minnesota for a 15-month position. And so it really is a labor of love. And it's one of the reasons why I'm still in the history field and love sharing those stories and sharing other people's stories as well. I have a friend, uh, and he's a client too. Um, he was a museum curator in upstate New York, then went to, I think it's Nebraska, down to Arkansas. Like, talk about <laughs> triangulating the United States. And he, you know, he just has to follow the career path and where the demand is. And it's definitely been an adventure for him. But, uh, but you know, talk, you know, culture shock too. Having oh, to make yeah. all those changes. I, I couldn't agree more. I've lived in Wisconsin, of course, Minnesota, Ohio for museums. I moved down to Georgia. It was a little different. I enjoyed it. Lived in Atlanta for several years. And again, just to keep chasing that museum dream and those goals. Yeah. Probably catching some good games while you're down there too. <laughs> 100%. So tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial side. Yeah, so it's something that I realized it's probably always been there. I was that kid who collected sports cards growing up. I basically never grew up. Now I'm just a big kid with money sometimes. So <laughs> the bobbleheads, you know, selling things was always something I think in my DNA, whether my friends from middle school remember that I used to get those big packs of gum from Sam's Club for like seven, eight dollars, and then sell them to kids for an insane markup that I somehow got away with. But <laughs> it was one of those things that I think I had always had it in me, whether it was finding things on Facebook Marketplace, getting them for free or Craigslist and then selling them again, maybe on Facebook Marketplace. It was one of those things that I always think I had in the back burner, but I followed the museum passion, the museum dream. And I realized during my 10 years at some of these different museums, it felt like a lot of times these big agencies, big companies were kind of getting over on us a little bit. We don't know. We didn't, you know, we don't know much and we'd be charged outrageous amounts for things that I didn't think seemed that complicated. While I didn't really know how to do it yet, it was one of those things that kind of stuck with me. So I spend 
probably, you know, 60 hours on, you know, Dr. Google and Mr. YouTube and really teach myself first and started with making social media content, making graphics and really being a designer, if you will. And that was just originally just to help my, my museum out, but also to help myself out again, museums are a labor of love. You're not being paid big bucks to work in museums. And so I remember when I was living in Minnesota, I was eligible for food stamps while working a full-time job. And mm -hmm. something with that internally just didn't sit right while I loved the museum field. I knew I needed something more for, for my life, uh, to be honest. And so that's how Swick Media really started. And it, first it was creating graphics for friends. And, you know, first you get your little clients and you keep growing and growing. I was able to transition those skills not only to my, my side business, but also when I moved down to Atlanta working at the College Football Hall of Fame as their historian and curator. We got a little bit bigger toys to play with. I was able to, to with partnerships, create some incredible exhibits that you know thousands of people were able to see. And I was really able, again, to blend the passion, that newfound passion of creating content with my love for history and my love, of course, for sports. And so it continued to grow from there. One of my biggest fears when I left the Hall of Fame was that I was going to lose my connection with the sports world. Luckily, as you can see behind you, it's really hard for me to leave sports. <laughs> and so I create, started editing podcasts and working on production for other podcasts. And I realized it was probably another way that I could stay connected to sports. So I didn't want it to be solely a sports music sports podcast but i wanted the ability to talk to anyone and everyone and of course it leans a little sports heavy but it's one of those things where it brings me joy it feels like i'm not working at all when i'm working on the podcast or working on editing yeah i, I would imagine well first of all i was a guest on your show and i thought you made a tremendous host so thank you for having me um but yeah i mean i feel like when you have you know, the right, I guess, platform, for lack of a better term. Um, and then the right guest on, it's effortless, right? You're having a great conversation. You're meeting somebody new. You're learning about somebody new and hopefully picking up something that you you hadn't um, been exposed to before. I could not agree more with that. And I know we talked on the show, which will be, our show will be uh, releasing soon, but it's such an important thing to network and get to know people and introduce your people to other people and just see where, where things might fit. Well, it's funny because I think I've used the word joy a lot more in the last several weeks than I have ever before, but now it's one of those things just for me, like gratitude. I, I use gratitude a lot and bringing joy is also something that I think I've always had or always done, but you know, just talking to you, it kind of, it stuck out more and I, I felt myself saying it more. Yay! Mission accomplished! <laughs> I think joy is such a cool word. I know um, I have friends sometimes that'll make fun of me being like, oh, you're in like your joy moment or whatever. I'm like, every day is a joy moment. Every moment of the day is a joy moment, even when it's tough. You know, there's so much to be thankful for and to have such gratitude for, like you say. Um, you know, right now, it kind of looks like you have a roof over your head right? That is like, that's abundance. That's something to be thankful for. And, you know, I don't, 
I don't know if it's, you know, a 5,000 square foot house or a 500 square foot apartment, but it, either way, it's, it's a roof. That's great. Right. Like trying to get people to, to see that the only thing that matters is that you're covered. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that because again, everyone's life story is different. Everyone's path is different. Everyone's history is different. And I think I was fortunate and it's kind of crazy to say it, but I was fortunate to be born in Guatemala. I was fortunate to be born in year 31 of our 36 year civil war. And the whole reason I'm here is because of, because of that. And of course, you know, in Guatemala, we shared, there's three of us to a crib in an orphanage. And I think my parents here did a great job of kind of sharing that story and not in a scary way, but understanding, I always understood where I came from and I've always mm -hmm. been thankful and grateful for that. But when you start that low, relatively speaking in life, you know, every other day is pretty good. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have bad days. I have good days. Uh, you know, sometimes you have terrible days, but I think for me, I was fortunate in the sense of that base level. I'm like, well, I know it'll never be, you know, me being born again in a, a 31 year civil war. So it's one of those things I've just always had, I think a level of gratitude, whether I knew it consciously at that point or not. How old were you when you left Guatemala? So I was, I believe about 10 months. So I came here in August of 92 and, uh, you know, we'll share, share a little more on that. Um, at the orphanage, I was dropped on my head and it cracked my skull in three places I had a subdural hematoma, which was a swelling of the brain. They put a VP shunt, which drained the blood out of my brain into, you know, out of me to bring down the swelling. It was an ex internal or external shunt down there. And now it uh, it's an external or internal one here. Thankfully, it hasn't been operational since shortly after I got here. I, I'm healthy. Our, our family always jokes that my neurosurgeon would be rolling in his grave if he knew I was playing rugby right now. But uh, so far, you know, so far, so good. And I've been doing that for about 14, 15 years now. So uh, again, fortunate just to, uh, I guess, have that experience as well. I remember when I was teaching, one of the things that always stuck out with me, I always usually keep my hair pretty short. You might see some lines here. They're the scar lines. I've always just kind of kept them, extended them. And I remember when I was teaching, I was talking about that. You know, kids, they'll ask anything. They're they're fearless. They they don't really care what they're asking. And one of them asked me, and I kind of shared, uh, you know, a bit of that story. Well, the next day, I had a student come in, and he had completely shaved his head because he had scars from a very similar surgery that, uh, you know, he it was it was 100% a, you know, a VP shunt scar. And he kind of told me that he'd been, like, embarrassed about it and all that. I was like, after that, you know, that alone, if I could do that once in life, that, you know, that made it made it for me. But, again, just sharing that story, you know, being grateful for, for that, it makes it easy to kind of find joy most days. Yeah. That, okay. So way to bury the lead there, my friend. That <laughs> That's an awesome story. Yeah. I, first of all, I mean, I'm sorry that happened to you. But the, you know, the outcome, you, you know, you could have had a very different life. And luckily you had the right medical team in place to put, you know, the right pieces together, literally and figuratively. 
Way to go, Colleen. Um, but <laughs> but but also um I think a lot of that has to do with who you are as a person. I, I feel like there's a lot of your like core DNA, like your belief system that is just positive in nature. And that's a lot that, that that's a skill a lot of people um cannot be taught. I I appreciate that. And I think it's one of those things while it can't be taught, I think it takes practice. I mean this and as you know, this product you see here at this exact moment, one to all was probably had the same answers to a lot of things uh, growing up with the you know positivity all the time. And I think the more and more I've had the opportunity to live, one in general, that's you know, I'm grateful for that. But the more life you discover how good you actually have it. And I was fortunate with a great upbringing to have that as well and kind of the, the whole nature over nurture thing is always interesting to me because I'm sure there's a lot of things DNA wise in me, but I'm also very similar to my family too. Uh, sometimes to a fault, sometimes maybe I'm a little stubborn, you know, sometimes we got opinions about things, but it's one of those things that I'm always, you know, still grateful for. Just before we started recording, I was talking to my husband about a scenario with one of my kids and um, he said he, he was going to a, a therapy session and he said, or when he came back, he said, wow, it's a lot of people that have it a lot worse than I do. Now, okay. Under my breath, I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> Again, you have a roof over your head. Um, but I think, you know, it, it was profound to us because you realize that they're really only the product of our town. They don't have the exposure to other parts of like, you know, other towns or other somebody's at my front door and we're just going to ignore that. <laughs> um, but they, they don't have the exposure. And so they really don't know what tough times are like. And he was telling a couple of stories and he's like, I can't imagine what that person's going through. And I'm thinking to myself, Oh, you just wait, my friend, you just wait, you have it really good. And I'm so glad you see that now. Cause that's just, that's going to put him on a different path altogether. Um, so that was a moment of gratitude that, uh, I'm going to hang on to forever. I love that. Anyway, so we were talking about gratitude and just, you know, having that attitude of gratitude and being able to see all the abundance around you. And what that actually does though, too, is, you know, that, I talk a lot about a scarcity mindset versus an abundant mindset. When you have an abundant mindset, you actually invite more abundance in. And, you know, I love to talk to people more about abundance, um, you know, and every chance I get, because the more people understand that, the more of that they're going to get in their life. So what, does that does that bring up any any stories for you? Anything you want to share? No, 100%. I, I think, I truly believe if you as cliche as it sounds, if you dream it, you can achieve it. And of course, that's not to say that I, when I wanted to become the curator at a museum that dealt with sports and college football history, that doesn't mean instantly I'm going to become one. That means eating dirt for several years and working all kinds of ridiculous places to make that dream happen. But that being said, there was no doubt in my mind that it couldn't happen at some point. And it's funny because uh, working at the Hall of Fame, I was actually turned down for the position uh, at first. 
and accepted it, moved, kind of tried to move on, worked at another museum, moved up to Minnesota. I drove up in a blizzard for a job I was overqualified for. And I mean, I remember driving back after I'm like, I'm going to get this job and I do not want this job. But I also know that this is going to keep me in my field longer, which buys me more time to decide what's next. I knew it was a 15 month position. And I remember getting the call almost as I pulled back into the house down here and that I got the job. And I remember as I'm working through this job, I'm kind of building my own, my own company as well, kind of doing both, both at the same time. And I remember hearing from the pro football hall of fame where I was an intern, they reached out to me and told me, Hey, the person who was offered to this position at the couch hall of fame turned it down. I think you should reach back out. And so naturally I did. And within about a month or so, I flew down to Atlanta and I remember being on the cusp of that accomplishment, that opportunity. And they, they knew I was from Wisconsin. So they sent me to a brewery to get pizza and beer the, the night before, you know, the night before an interview. And of course I obliged, I was going to do it because I figured at least if it didn't work out, I'd get, you know, a nice trip down to Atlanta. Yeah. Good I meal. Remember, exactly. <laughs> a good meal. And I remember it was at New Realm Brewery down in Atlanta uh, on the Beltline. If you ever go there, it's a great place. And looking out, and I was like, I realized that this was the first time I think in my brain it truly clicked that I think this could happen. And I remember enjoying my beer, bring my pizza back to my hotel room. And I remember sitting there and I'm like, this could happen. And one of the, my biggest things is I didn't want to feel like I was a shell of myself that's living up to some kind of expectation, what a, a historian or a curator is supposed to be like. So I figured when I did this interview in front of all these executives, I was going to be myself. And so they kind of, you know, introduced me and asked me uh, who I am or who am I? And I was like, my name's Jeremy Swick. I love cheering on the Green Bay Packers. I love playing rugby and I love drinking craft beer. And those are some of my favorite things. And I learned later that that kind of floored all of them because that was probably the most honest answer they've they received while interviewing people. And I kind of share what I do and what I could do and how I envisioned helping the Hall of Fame grow. And I was fortunate several months later to move down there. I have to laugh because before I moved, I delayed my start by a week so I could go to one last Packers game before I moved. <laughs> and nobody should be surprised by that. No, 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 no. I love it. No, I mean, what you just described is abundance to a T. That is what happens when you firmly like sit in your truth and, you know, believe in what's about like what is due to you and what is about to come it will come and I was talking to a woman earlier today and we we're talking about her dreams and I said the dream is implanted in you this isn't an idea you came up with it was put inside you that means it's out there for you like you just need to invite it in and a lot of times we do a lot of work to sabotage our dreams and <laughs> I got a smile there. That means there's a story behind it. Um, but we do a lot to sabotage our dreams and put them on hold or put them on a shelf, put them on that shelf maybe. Right. And um, so I'd love to hear your perspective on that. No, I, I think it's so true as you kind of see your future arriving, like it's a train at a train station. 
I feel like there's times where you kind of run away a little bit and not all the way away, but maybe you go to the next platform and maybe you want to take the next train. And I think the more and more you're in tune with yourself, you see it. I think a lot of times people don't really see it until they get explained. That's what you're doing. This point in, in my life, I see it sometimes where I'm like, I could really, you know, continue to grow this business, but there's obstacles. Maybe sometimes a lot of times they're self-invented obstacles. Oh, I don't have a logo. I mean, I guess I had a logo, but oh, I don't have this or I don't have that. Or I really need this before I start this. And I remember when I decided to pick up all this podcast equipment, I didn't want that to be my excuse. Oh, well, I don't have a good mic. I don't have a good camera because I knew just how I work. If I got it, I'm going to execute on it and it's going to, it's going to be accomplished. Mm -hmm. So once I got it all, I started recording and it kind of snowballed in the sense that the constant, you know, I, I don't know if it's a fear, but constant, Oh, I want to make sure I have a guest. It's then me booking six guests in one week recording all those and then being able to release them feel good for a couple of weeks. And then like, Oh, Hey, let's get more guests. Let's more people, you know, get more people to talk to. So I think it's one of those things is really inviting it, whatever it might be in, whether it's a business opportunity, a, a new job, a, a new anything or a, a change of pace. I think it's important for us to first realize it in our own lives and then do our best to invite it in. Beautiful. So well said. Jeremy, it's been awesome to have you on the show. Tell people where they can find you. Absolutely. So you can find me on social media, usually at The Average Historian. You can look up the company that I've been talking about, Swick Media, at swickmedia.com. We're also on social, uh, Swick Media 414. And we're always just here to help. We do a lot of podcast editing. We do graphic design. We do social media marketing, social media management. And we just, my goal, I should say, is to make podcasting not scary. I think a lot of times we don't really know what goes into podcasting. So our goal is to really help you explore your ideas because I think, and I know this from me, is being a historian by trade. I truly believe everyone has a story. And I think the world would be a better place if more people shared those stories and that's just one of the goals of us helping with podcasts to just, you know, create, create more stories. I could not like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I totally agree. And even if somebody has told a different, you know, a similar story, they haven't told it the way you've told it. Your story needs to be told over and over and over again to as many people as possible. So I'm so glad you said that. Couldn't agree more. And so glad to have you on today. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. I appreciate your platform. And I appreciate how much I've said joy in the last like three weeks. So I'm going to keep it going. Keep it going. That, that's a New Year's resolution I can get behind. And that was another ep episode of Joy Unleashed. Make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel so you never miss an episode. Thank you for tuning in to Joy Unleashed. As always, it's my honor to be your host and joyologist, Colleen Greco. Follow me at the Colleen Greco on Instagram for daily motivation and inspiration. And don't forget to leave my show a review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, sisters.